Welcome to the Nettle Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and this is episode number 330. As part of our Smithsonian Associates Art of Living interview series, we are celebrating the Game of Thrones. I know what my father was, what he did. I know the Mad King earned his name. Burn them all! Kill every Targaryen I get my hands on. Everyone who isn't us is an enemy. Sir Illyn, bring me his head. We are ironborn. We take what is ours. The Lannisters send their regards. You don't think I'd let you marry that beast, do you? I now proclaim Cersei of the House Lannister, protector of the Seven Kingdoms. Lannister, Targaryen, Baratheon, Stark, Tyrell. They all just spokes on a wheel. This one's on top, then that one's on top, and on and on it spins, crushing those on the ground. The same thing is coming for all of us. There is only one war that matters. The Great War. And it is here. The Great War is here of the Great Houses of Westeros, and Season 8 of The Game of Thrones, the final season, has almost arrived. The recorded history of Westeros extends back over 12,000 years, according to tradition, and the accuracy of the legends and myths that recount much of this history and the visual world of The Game of Thrones is the subject of our interview today with Deborah Riley. For devoted followers of HBO's Game of Thrones, The Seven Kingdoms of Westeros is a land they know intimately. Its castle halls, towering battlements, starkly beautiful landscapes, and torch-lit chambers are places that root the epic narrative in a highly detailed world that bridges the real and the imagined. Game of Thrones production designer Deborah Riley is our guest today, and Deborah Riley is responsible for creating the visual environment against which the saga of power, family, revenge, and romance plays out. Just as the show's characters and plots reflect a range of world mythologies and legendary archetypes, so too does the look of the Game of Thrones, for which Deborah Riley draws on a mix of historical period styles and cultural traditions, even the shooting locations, which extend from Northern Ireland to Croatia to Iceland, add to that global mix. Deborah Riley will be presenting at the Smithsonian Associates program Monday, April 1st, where she will be joined by Bernadette Caulfield, Game of Thrones executive producer. The presentation is sold out, but you can join the waiting list by clicking on the link in our notes. Please join me in welcoming back to the Not Old Better Show, Game of Thrones production designer, Deborah Riley. Deborah Riley, it is so good to talk to you again. We talked last year about the Game of Thrones. We're going to talk today about the Game of Thrones, but welcome back. Oh, thank you, Paul. Thanks for uh, thanks for chatting this morning. Of course. Thank you very much. Well, first of all, congratulations on your fourth Emmy with uh, art director, Paul Ghiridani. I think that is wonderful. 
but you beat out some really some stiff competition programs that that I, I really love too, along with Game of Thrones, The Crown, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Westworld, and, and others. You're always so great. I know, I know. Yeah, that, those were some big competitors. But you also get to work with the team, and you're also very gracious in making sure to include those team members. Well. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what you do with these model makers and these plasterers and these carpenters that that make the Game of Thrones so visually dramatic and, and stunning. Actually, one of the things that was very special for me and that I'll always remember about the Emmy ceremony last year was um, we had our construction manager, Tom Martin, in the audience with us. Mm. And I had asked HBO to please bring him out. And I've tried in previous years to actually put him on the nomination list. Um, but for various reasons, um, that's been rejected by the Television Academy. Um, construction managers aren't usually included, and um, by the seams of it, won't be anytime soon. But there's so many positions like Tom's, like the construction manager, uh, where we just would not um, function without them. And so my job is to look over, look after the overall design of the show, and that includes everything from the um, the sets and the actual physical uh, locations where we shoot uh, to looking after the um, the look of the set dressing and the props. Um, Paul Giridani, whom you mentioned, he looks after you know the drawing room in the art department. He also helps oversee construction. And uh, Rob Cameron, our set decorator, looks after um, all of the um, you know the soft furnishings and the and the furniture that goes inside these locations. And um, then it's people like Tom who oversee all of the construction budget, oversee everything to do with things that are built on that show. And because it's a show that's essentially about world building, it's it's nothing without Tom. So that last Emmy was very, very special um, and, you know, being able to accept it in um in the company of him was uh, absolutely extraordinary. And at one point I realised that the audience was applauding him and I'll never forget it because it's, it's an amazing thing when you're up there on stage. You don't really hear the sound until it feeds back to you. And uh, there's a look that comes across my face and looking back at the footage where I realise, my goodness, they're applauding him. And isn't that fantastic? So that was a, a really um, wonderful moment and something that uh, I'll never forget. And I'm incredibly conscious of the fact that um, as the production designer, I'm responsible for the most, but I actually do the least insofar as I personally don't do any physical work. I'm not responsible for building it. I'm not responsible for painting it. I'm not responsible for, um, you know, carrying it to the set or anything like that. But without all of those people who are painting and plastering and painting um, uh, painting props and, uh, you know, loading things onto trucks and off trucks and all that sort of stuff, without the vast team of people that um, comprise the art department, none of it would happen. So it's a very strange thing to be up on stage accepting something as an individual when in fact it represents hundreds. So um, I'm always very keen to acknowledge uh, all of the people that um, support the work of the art department. Thank you for that. You you really are so kind and so gracious. That I think I think it's wonderful to be that inclusive because it is just an enormous undertaking, so much so that with the final season uh, of Game of Thrones almost here, you're bound to miss some of those folks, I imagine, working so closely with, maybe some, some even some bittersweet thoughts uh, and emotions. So 
what, what's kind of going through your mind as you start to wind down and say goodbye, but yet, uh, like the rest of us, you know, just are awaiting this, this spectacle uh, coming. Uh, winter is coming, so <laughs> what's... Yeah, yeah, well, winter's come, absolutely. Um, it's really interesting because I finished last, early early July last year, and so I have been, um, I haven't been on the show for a long time, but my sort of peripheral work with it continues. Um, but actually, you know, I left Belfast and left uh, the crew then on, uh, the, you know, the day after our last day of shoot. And it was a day that I had dreaded for a long time because I'd been on the show at that point, you know, for five and a half years. And that's um, a substantial amount of time, which meant that I had, I was living in Belfast, I was living and breathing uh, the show and um, you know you go through a significant portion of people's lives people mm-hmm. get married people have children um, you know parents die that sort of thing so uh, you get to know the people in your team really well and we see each other every day for um, a huge portion of the day so all of that and also you know we're in the trenches together we're standing knee deep in mud and <laughs> fake snow you know in all kinds of weather and all kinds of um, you know, at all different times of the day and night. It's it's something where you get to know people and their characters really well. Um, and I had been dreading leaving for a long time. Um, you know, for years earlier, I thought the day that this finishes is going to be horrendous. I don't know how I'm going to cope. And I really didn't know how I was going to cope right up until the day itself. And it was fascinating because it had been so difficult towards the end of the show. We were working so, so hard. And um, I was physically and emotionally drained, uh, absolutely exhausted. I'd given everything I possibly could. That suddenly it was obvious that we'd told the story and it was time to go. Mm. And um, it was, um, we had done our work. And actually I left feeling like um, that I was incredibly proud of it, I think was the overriding sensation that I had. I wasn't. I was obviously sad to leave, but I wasn't, um, and obviously sad to say goodbye to the people, but um, we're, uh, it's a transient profession, and <laughs> it was time to go. So it was an interesting thing. It was, it was unlike I imagined it to be. I thought it would be amongst floods of tears, and all that sort of stuff. in the end it wasn't. It was actually very peaceful. <laughs> there was a real um, understanding that our time had come, and... Um, uh, yeah, and, you know, David and Dan, the showrunners and, and mm. HBO themselves and all of the producers, it, it had been, you know, the line was, we shall never see your like again. Mm. And when we had the, you know, when the speech was given, when um, rap was called on the show, uh, you know, Dan Weiss said, you know, take a look around you, take a look where you are, look at the sets, look at the people who are standing beside you. You know, we'll never walk here again. And so there was a really obvious... Um, sense of this is it like nobody was fooling themselves about the fact that that was we were done um but i think we held our heads up high and i'm slightly confused about it now i'm <laughs> as all of the game of thrones hype is going on around me i'm <laughs> yeah it's it that's sort of quite slightly confusing but for me in my own sort of heart i know that we did the best we could and that's all i can ask for we are with Deborah Riley. Deborah Riley will be presenting at the Smithsonian Associates coming up Monday, April 1st. 
The title of the program is Creating the Visual World of Game of Thrones, and uh, Deborah Riley is a production designer for Game of Thrones, creating this wonderful world of the Seven Kingdoms in Westeros. The, the challenges, you, you mentioned the hard work that goes into this, and I, I know that the production crew is, is massive, but there's just, there are some challenges in working on these huge production shows such as Game of Thrones. Tell us a little bit about some of those challenges. Actually, one of the great things about um, being at the Smithsonian this year is I have uh, the executive mm-hmm. producer, Bernie Caulfield, with me um, on that night as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And Bernie yes, was like, that, right. yeah, she was the beating heart of the production. So the great thing about the presentation this year is we'll also get to hear it from Bernie's point of view. And her point of view is obviously, um, uh, it's it's aligned with my point of view insofar as um, we've got, you know, we know we have a massive amount of work to get through in a very limited time and we have to, um, you know, maintain the standard that we've always maintained. But she's looking at it from a production standpoint. I'm only looking at it from an art department standpoint, but she's providing all of the support to every crew member. I'm just responsible for a very, you know, small slice of the pie. So it'll be fascinating this year to hear it from Bernie's point of view. Um, But yes, I mean, all of the things that go into making a show like Game of Thrones is something that everybody now seems to be fishing around for, trying to find the next version of the show. You know, what's going to be the big show that will hit next? Um, Who's going to fill the void that that Game of Thrones will leave behind? And it does have a lot to do with the the production itself. It does have a lot to do with... um, There's some sort of magic in, in the team that was put together. There's certainly something extraordinary in the storytelling. There's There's something amazing... Um, about the fact that we all came to care about it so much. And uh, and that's the thing. And not only were HBO prepared to back a very ambitious story, um, but they were also prepared to, um, you know, be supportive of everything that goes along with that, which are massive crews of people in different countries um, shooting uh, for a long period of time, sometimes with you know, two or three different crews shooting at the same time, building massive sets and, um, you know, impacting a huge amount of visual effects at the same time. It's not easy to build dragons. It's not easy to create these massive worlds. So at the end of the day, it does come back to production. It does come back to HBO. It does come back to the appetite and the ambition of of the people who are, um, you know, putting the show forward and the art department can only ever respond to the amount of budget and the amount of time and the amount of resources that we're given. So from my point of view, I wouldn't be able to do my work unless, you know, the, the people above me and around me were able to contribute to that by by giving me the best people possible and uh, as much time as is necessary and as as much money as is necessary. Um, Unfortunately, it's not cheap to build these sets. <laughs> so uh, there's a massive amount of um, of scaffolding, um, of support structure that, that goes into it long before um, a hammer and nail are ever put together. So um, there, there's such a lot of track that needs to be laid. And that's something on Game of Thrones that I think was done incredibly well. And certainly as we went through the seasons, we got better and better at it. And um, now that I've sort of moved on to a new project with, um, you know, different people, you you begin to realise just how, um, you know, just 
how efficient that machine had become and then trying to wind up on something new, uh, you really miss it. You think, wow, you know, this is something on Thrones that we never even had to talk about because we just understood it. And um, as you sort of start something again, you think, oh, you know, I really am going to miss that. I'm going to miss the efficiency with which we used to work. But as you say, a transient uh, transient nature of, of this business. And I think one of the things that I've, I've found about you that has been so interesting to me is that you come at this with an interesting perspective as an artist, but as a former architecture student. So building, it's who you are. And I would imagine that's unique uh, within the community. But but what inspires you to make these sets come to life in the, in the way that you do with that architectural background? I think for me, um, I think, well, first of all, I don't think having an architectural background is, is that unique within production design. But hmm. I think the way that I talk about it is possibly unique because um, I credit my background in architecture um, with my success as a production designer in many ways. And I, I bring that right down to one particular subject in many ways, and that was called behaviour and environment studies at the university that I was at. But basically it boils down to the psychology of space. Hmm. And essentially movie making and storytelling all comes down to communication. And so from my point of view in the arts department, I'm very careful to make sure that the sets and the props communicate um, in a very particular way what we're wanting to say about the scene or what we're wanting to say about a character at that particular point in time. Um, I'm wanting to be able to add to the audience's experience of uh, what's, what's going on, to be able to enhance their understanding of where a character is, what the history of the place is, how they might be feeling uh, at that time. So for me, um, architecture is something that, um, and the built environment is something that's incredibly important, um, not just in our daily lives and in the world that we live in and the spaces that we create to live in, but also um, architecture can be very helpful in the stories that we tell about ourselves and how these are reflected um, in something like Game of Thrones. What what does the Dragonstone audience chamber tell you that maybe the, um, which is maybe different or in contrast to the, um, you know, the King's Landing throne room? Like how are those two spaces different and similar? Uh, that sort of stuff I can talk about for days because I think it's so important to be able to analyse that and to be able to analyse the characters that inhabit those spaces. And you can really tell the characters who shine throughout the production. They fit, and so it must you know, just work hand in glove and, and in tandem so nicely. And I like that phrasing, the psychological study of architecture and how we interact with it. Well, Deborah Riley, last question for you, because I, I know you're very busy. Well, of all the sets and all the seasons, uh, season four through eight that you've worked on, what what is your favorite? Westeros, Marine, uh, Hard Home, the House of Black and White, the Hall of Faces, Dragstone. I, I could just go on and on, but there there are just some wonderful ones that I'm sure you probably have a few favorites too. Um, I can't talk about the season eight sets, but when I think back to all of the things that we built on Game of Thrones, I was there from season four through to season eight. Um, there are ones that come to mind for different reasons, actually. Um, I will never forget the Marine audience chamber from season mm -hmm. four. Mm -hmm. um, Danny had been, you know, roaming in the deserts and then um, she comes to Marine and uh, mm. we, we see her in that magnificent Mayan style um, audience chamber where she had a, 
a bench as a throne. And um, it was that was the point in time on the show where I understood that the art department could really make an impact visually on the quality of the production. And um, and that's where the new season four art department, um, that's where I realised we were going to be okay. <laughs> Let's put it that way. You can imagine turning up. More than okay. Yeah, you can imagine turning up as a, as a new person onto a show like that. <laughs> and uh, it was incredibly intimidating. And you can also imagine just how many people were um, watching every move that I made uh, mm-hmm. in order to make sure that I was maintaining um, the look and the feel of the show as it already was. Also, seeing how I, you know, managed the crews and interacted with people and respected the the original source material and all that sort of thing. How I responded to the scripts, responded to producers. So um, there were an awful lot of eyes on me. And when that set was completed. Um, you could almost hear there was this sort of communal sigh of relief. Oh, she's all right. She's going to be okay. <laughs> and um, there was something very special about that set. It, it, it really hummed. Um, when you stood inside it, it, it felt special. And uh, so, yes, yeah, so I, I think of that one incredibly fondly. And if I close my eyes, I can still feel like I'm standing inside it. Um, and but the hall of faces i really enjoyed like that was something that was mm-hmm. tricky for us it was a great synthesis between the work of the art department and visual effects and um i enjoyed that because there was a lot of overlap with ourselves with cinematography and as i say with the visual effects department and between all three of those departments we really had to make sure that we were um a- absolutely um you know, in complete sync about how much was being built, how it was going to be lit, how the set would be extended, you know, where the camera would have to be to make the set look the best it possibly could, how it would move, where the characters would be at what particular point in time. So from a, not only from a creative standpoint, but from um, just the standpoint of the technology and just the nuts and bolts of how the set would have to work, um, that one was extraordinary and then um, I guess I would jump to season seven where we built Dragonstone and I thoroughly enjoyed that because that was completely inspired by the location that we found up in the Basque country of Spain where that extraordinary strata is and um, and then to be able to sort of take that and bring it back and um, allow that to inform the space that became the Dragonstone audience chamber um, was a really satisfying process and there was a contribution of a lot of different people. Dan and David had been very specific about wanting space with sort of forced perspective um, and they wanted something that was quite uh, totalitarian in its nature and quite severe and um, and then sort of letting the location speak. It was great to be able to extend that into, into what we had and um, it was very different from anything we'd ever done before and I think architecturally it was the most unique language that we'd ever created. So um, that was very satisfying at a creative level. But my all-time favourite would be the Marine Audience Chamber from season four. Mm. That goes back a while. That was 2013. <laughs> we'll put up some pictures on the site from Marine. We'll get those from uh, Smithsonian to, to add to the site. But Deborah Riley, production designer, Game of Thrones. Uh, so nice to talk to you. Uh, going to be good to see you coming up uh, April 1st on uh, 
Uh, Monday evening, 6.45 p.m. We'll put links up to where you can get tickets, but what a pleasure it's been to talk to you. This is just an exciting time in anticipation of Game of Thrones, and it'll be great to hear from you on on April 1st. But uh, good luck with everything that you've got going on now. Oh, thank you, Paul. And look, enjoy season eight. Um, get ready, brace yourself. <laughs> it's um, it's not an easy watch, but uh, <laughs> I'm um, I'm really keen to hear what you think. So yes, as I say, enjoy. Yeah, it's an extraordinary thing to say goodbye to. Yeah, I'll be watching absolutely. All these characters too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, Jamie. Oh, Danny. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a it's a big deal. So um, as we hit sort of um, you know peak Game of Thrones fever, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm I'm trying to make the most of it. <laughs> Good. Well, thank you again, Deborah. Riley. Always so nice to talk to you. We appreciate your time. It's a pleasure, Paul. Thank you. Remember, Deborah Ryder will be presenting at the Smithsonian Associates Program Monday, April first, two thousand nineteen, where she will be joined by Bernadette Caulfield, Game of Thrones executive producer. The presentation is sold out, but you can join the waiting list by clicking on the link in our notes. Thanks to Deborah Riley for joining me today, and thanks to the wonderful Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. The Not Better Show. Talk about better. Thanks, everybody.